Um, and you had these colors and, you know, the bright oranges and the blues as it came out. And then as the sun came up, you know, the deep blues of that lake, it was just, you know, and then being able to spend most of the day hiking around, it was, you know, just the thing that I was just like, that, that was the reason why I was out there. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. So as I was kind of predicting and speculating, uh, 2020 was going to be a big year for adventures. You know, when anytime there's a disruption to, to the economy, a disruption to our normal life, it is the the thing that a lot of people need to to say yes to their adventure finally, whether they're laid off or just life is so different, they they finally say, let's do it. And it's, you know, not that easy for everybody. A, a lot of things have to work out to say yes to an adventure, but sometimes something like this is what you need. And we have a lot of interviews lined up from folks who did just that. But today's episode with Amy and Brian McLeddy, they had actually been pa- planning their Pacific Crest Trail through hike for eight years, waiting for the kids to go off to college. Well, they were supposed to leave in March. Uh, We all know what happened in March, and Amy and Brian said they were going to go anyway. What safer place to be than out in the woods, right? And so they continued with their plans, got on the trail, and had quite the experience. I'm going to let them tell their story, um, but thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today, and I really encourage you to uh, check out any sponsors we have in the episode and uh, send us any folks that you think would make a good guest. Info at adventuresportspodcast.com. All right, here's the episode. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one. I can't wait to hear the story. I don't know much yet. I didn't want to do too much research, so I wanted to hear straight from the folks that experienced it, Amy and Brian Micheletti. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mason. Yeah, thanks, Mason. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, so you know, folks heard in the intro, y'all just through-hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and from my understanding, you've only been back. Um, I was reading some of your blog, and it looks like you, you guys really haven't been back, but like two or so weeks right now, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. two weeks. Yeah. Oh, exactly two weeks. Holy yeah. cow. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's so, I mean, it's so fresh for you still. It's such a long experience. I'm sure these two weeks have, have been bittersweet, have been um, just a trip, just a weird experience, I'm sure, and especially with everything going on. Uh, but, I mean, you know, just to get the here and now, how are, how are you feeling? Yeah, it's a hard transition, I have to say. I mean, it's already hard after a, a long adventure like that to come back to real life. But now real life is so different than the real life we left in March. <laughs> so it's so that part is a whole nother ball game trying to remember our mask when we walk out the door and trying to get back into work and all that yeah and also just body still kind of feels like it's kind of recovering a little bit so doesn't really feel like i want to go walk another 23 25 miles again just yet so we'll see (laughs) (laughs) it is probably nice not to have to wake up and and knock out a full day of walking just just relax but uh 
When did you start? You said in March. Uh, was it before everything kind of hit the fan or right after? It was right as like right as it really hit the fan because we, we started on March 22nd. Um, and when the, when all a lot of the restrictions, especially like in California, that was like right around like March 20th you know, or so. So, yeah, it was it was like right at the time everything started to kind of go haywire. Yeah, you, you guys have literally experienced from beginning to pretty much right now the the ebbs and flows the, the the entire arc of kind of the quarantine and pandemic um what what, right. what gave you the confidence or kind of gave you the the i don't know made you make the decision to go for it um it was kind of one of those things where we both had, had i mean literally right before everything kind of went kind of crazy was where i had left my job so i had just quit um, Amy had kind of put her job on hold. Uh, so we were in a position Well, we were like, okay, well, do we change anything? But then at the same time, we we're also going, well, if we're going out into the wilderness, we're going to be pretty kind of socially distancing ourselves anyway. So we kind of felt comfortable with that. And then we started, we even had a discussion of like how we would handle town towns and things like that. Cause we didn't want to make sure that we weren't impacting anyone else's lives, you know, and, and felt comfortable about going in there. So um, we kind of had made a plan to, you know, get in, get in and out of towns as quickly as possible and minimize our impact there and uh, minimize our risk at the same time. Cause we wanted to make sure that if we went on this, we were going to be able to finish, you know, finish it as soon as we started. So we were always were a little bit more concerned about going into towns with the whole COVID situation as far as making sure that we weren't going to jeopardize ourselves um, with contracting it, and then, which could force us off the trail. So, And it was very different um, throughout the trail from Southern California to Northern California to Oregon and Washington. Everyone had different rules. Everyone, you know, dealt with the virus in a different way. And we just made sure that we were masked and very, you know, open to whatever each town needed. We were really cognizant to make sure that we did everything that they wanted. But what we found is that every town really, really relies on these hikers coming through. And so because it was such a drastic, um, the numbers were so much lower this year, they were hurting and they really wanted the through hikers to come through. So it was super interesting to see how different it was as we went along. I'm sure it was scary, too, because folks have heard, you know, your kids went off to college and y'all have been planning this for years. So, um, you know, you've got a family. What, was it weird having to leave your family in, for the woods in this time? Like, did you feel strange about your kids? You know, like, what's going to happen with them? But we're going off on this hike. I'm just, it's just so, we've never had to deal with something like this before. Right. Oh, so true. Well, when we left, they were both in college. And that's what we had been waiting for for eight years, for them to go to college. So now they were both in college. We had it all set up who was going to take care of the dog and all that jazz. And then now we leave and now they're both home because everything's online. So everything completely changed. So they could actually be home and 
take care of the animals and <laughs> take care of the house. And so that actually was kind of handy. And they could also <laughs> update us as things were going because we didn't always have cell service, but we always had an inReach with us. So they could update us on what was happening. So we, we knew what was going on with COVID, but um, it definitely... Yeah, we didn't know the extent of everything. Yeah, and I don't think we necessarily felt like we couldn't go because they were here. Because both of us kind of felt like whether we were home or not, their risk of being around other people with the virus and stuff was still going to be the same whether we were here or not. So that's kind of why we felt comfortable leaving and you know letting them being a, let them be adults and kind of make some decisions on their own as they went too. So. Hey, it's like, hey, y'all, this is the real world. Deal with it. <laughs> That's a, yeah, you're pushing them right, not really right at pushing them out of the nest. You're letting them stay in the nest, but. Y'all are headed yeah. out, so that, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, you know, you 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 said you've been planning this for eight years. That is, uh, I've been married six years, and I, I don't think we've put anything. I don't think we've had a plan that we've had held on to more than like a year before just right, something right. changes. Yeah. What yeah. is like? What was that like planning this for eight years? What was the idea behind it, and 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 what did it look like planning for eight years? Was it constantly talking about it? Was it checking in every once in a while? Because it's just a really cool goal as a couple, and I'm sure a lot of people out there listening are kind of in the same boat. Yeah, definitely. We have loved backpacking for years, and so the most we've ever done is seven to ten days, and we'll do one to two trips a year. So we knew that we loved backpacking, and then we started reading people's blogs from the PCT. The first one was in 2011. And we started reading these blogs and thinking, oh my gosh, this is really, this sounds like something we would really love to do. Okay, when could we do it? All right, what is realistic? We looked you know, into the future and we needed both the kids to be in college. We weren't going to leave with them in high school. That wasn't a realistic goal. So we had that goal in mind, but we really you know, eight years, it's not like you really have to plan eight years ahead. We just kind of had that goal. Let's try and do it in eight years. So we'd revisit it every now and then. And, um, and then finally, a, well, a couple years ahead, I guess we really decided it was going to be in 2020 for sure. Then a year ahead, we started dehydrating food <laughs> because we wanted to bring oh, wow. all, a lot of our own food. So that took a lot of time because it was a lot of dehydrating meats and meals and all of that. So then it really did become um, a big project. And then when um, we got our permit, thank goodness we did decide to make all of our own meals and send all 32 resupply boxes to ourselves. We didn't plan on resupplying in any town, which worked out perfectly because there were many towns where that was not possible because of COVID. You couldn't go in and you couldn't resupply there or the you know, the choices were so limited. So that worked out really well that we had all of that um, ready to go. But that's kind of how it came about. So then when all of a sudden the PCTA said, you know, we'd like you to postpone your trip. They never revoked anyone's permits. They never said, you know, we're not going to recognize you finishing. If you do this, we you know, get off the trail. They never said that. So we decided to just go for it anyway. And then it was unbelievable. There was nobody on the trail. It was so quiet. We walked through the entire Sierra, the JMT and everything with not one person. We really? didn't see anyone but PCT yeah. hikers. The PCT hikers were the only ones allowed to be on the trail at that point when we hit the Sierra. So to see the JMT with no one there and then to also summit Mount Whitney 
with no one there. We had a whole 360 degree view with not one other person on that summit when they give out 160 permits a year, um, a day normally. So it turned out to be pretty special. You know, I didn't have anything on that scale, but I did, you know, being in this, this community, this adventure community, there's, there's just different levels of risk, uh, that everyone's comfortable with. And the folks that we saw that did decide to do something, um, I'm not saying this is recommended or anything, but they just had an incredible experience, (laughs) you know, like a total wilderness experience, like you just talked about in places that typically are just usually a lot busier. So the fact that you got to see pretty much the entire JMT with no one on it. I mean, that's something people haven't experienced in probably 60, 70 years plus. Oh, so, yeah, for sure. If not more. So that that is spectacular. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, that was really, we felt very lucky about that for sure. Because that was one of my, I know I was worried at the beginning of the tour, of the trip, just because our typical week-long backpacking trips we go you know in the backwoods where no one is and we don't see anyone for five of the eight days and I love that that's what I love about it so I was worried when I knew that they gave out you know 4,500 PCT permits a year and are we is it just going to be this highway down the trail that you know you can't find a fat flat spot to put your tent and you can't you know can't ever hop off the trail to go to the bathroom because there's 50 people walking by and um, it just wasn't like that at all. So that part was lovely. Going back to preparing, you said you dehydrated all your own food and you've been planning this for so long. Was there, was there any other way you had to get your life ready? Because I just feel like a lot of people feel like there's so many obstacles to overcome when, when setting their life up for an adventure like this. I definitely feel it. And I know a lot of our listeners, I hear feedback all the time. You, you mentioned, Brian, you, you left your job. Did, did, was it going to take something like that for this to be possible? Um, yeah, I actually, I, I approached my job about a uh, possibility of coming back. Um, and the d- the details of that just didn't work out. So I wasn't able to do that. Um, the one benefit that both Amy and I have is that we both work in the medical field. Um, I'm a physical therapist and she's an occupational therapist. So for us, the job demand, there's quite a bit out there and we kind of knew that. So there wasn't a lot of, um, fear, at least for me, as far as leaving my job, knowing that I could come back. And even if it wasn't that one, I was going to be able to probably be able to find another job fairly easily. So from that standpoint, I think we were kind of really been, you know, kind of lucky from that standpoint, um, not having to worry about job because I do know that's kind of a huge thing, especially where we are. It's not like I'm at retirement age or anything like that. And, you know, just depending on your job, what you what you're doing, as far as what flexibility you do have, as far as leaving it and then coming back and things like that. So um, that worked out well from us from that standpoint. Yeah, normally six months is hard yeah. to take off. So even the people that we met on the trail, most people were in their 20s. There were definitely some in their 30s. You know, that could leave a job or didn't really have anything set in stone. Yeah. Um, not too many people our age. We are 50 and 51. (laughs) 
how how involved were your kids? Were they just following every step? Was there, were you checking in constantly? What what was that like? I know you have a dog, so that you they were dog yeah. sitting. Um, you know what what was it like interacting with them on this? Yeah, we definitely checked in very often, and the good thing is through the inReach, even if we didn't have cell service, they could always get a hold of us, depending on you know how quick the satellites could get a text to us and back to them. So at least we had that available, and with our um, our parents and and things like that. But um, it was great being able to find out what was going on in the world, and they definitely followed the blog and. You know, so they were reading up on it to see how things were going. And then our both of them came to visit us when we reached Mammoth. And then our daughter was able to come out and visit us again when we were in Bend. So it was kind of neat to be able to see folks along the way. And then we also got, because we live in Southern California, we were able to come home um, a few times. So that was really great when the snow was really bad wow. in the desert. Um, the end of March, beginning of April, they got all those late storms. So the snow was actually much worse in the desert than it was even in the Sierra for us this year. Holy cow. That is crazy. Yeah. And the fact, I'm it sure it was crazy. such a change, like transition coming back, getting back on the trail. Yes. You know, the, these experiences, as people always hear on this show, is, you know, a week out there on the trail can feel like a month, if not more. And so, to kind of have, break that life up and come back home, I'm sure it was so crazy to, to, yeah. to feel that. Knowing you got to go back out there and knowing you have so much more. What, what would you say, you, you might already mention this, might be it, but what would you say was the first real uh, roadblock in your plans or the first real obstacle you had to come, overcome once you got out there? You know, it ended up being the mental part of it was actually, I mean, we knew it was going to be physically challenging, obviously walking 20 plus miles a day, but I think we both felt like the mental challenge was a lot, a bigger obstacle than anything. It really is. I mean, you, you have a deadline. You, you, you know, people think that, you know, you have forever. You can just take however much time you have. Why are you rushing is what people kept saying to us. And we're like, we're not rushing. We're just trying to get to Washington, you know, to Canada before Washington gets hit with a big storm, which is funny because we ended on a Friday and the very next Thursday was a huge snowstorm. Mm. And so we barely got out of that one, but there were definite, um, troubles at times getting into towns, especially big bear was the worst, uh, time for us because right then is when they had shut down big bear and they said, no one can come in and we needed to pick up our resupply box in town. And so it's not a walkable distance. I think it was 12 miles. Yeah, about 12 miles into town to the post office. So. so after a whole big long day, it's not like we really wanted to spend another 12 miles walking on the road to get into town to get our box and back. So we tried to find rides. There are no Ubers, no Lyfts. We yeah. tried calling all the phone numbers that were available to us. There were Nobody was picking up hikers. Yeah, really even were, yeah, because even hitchhiking that was one of the biggest obstacles I think for a lot of the hikers this year, just because with the virus going on, hitchhiking in the towns became really difficult because no one, you know, and right, totally rightfully, yeah. yeah, rightfully so. I mean, they were a little nervous about just picking up people off the stand on a trail in a trailhead. So yeah, so we ended up finally talking someone 
who usually shuttles the elderly around to their doctor's appointments in Big Bear. I was able to talk them into, please, 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 we will pay you any amount of money to just take us to the post office and back. And they didn't have anyone to take, so it was going to be an empty bus. So um, we were able to get on there, pick up our box, and then have them bring us right back to the trail. But the unfortunate thing there is we were kind of so flustered about the whole thing and how it all went down and how it barely went down and so we never got water we never got food and we never got to check our resupply box until we got dropped back off at the trail and that's when we realized we never filled up our water bottles and there is no water source right here and now it's dark and oh my gosh and so that's where you know you hear about the trail providing all the time it's just you know such a well-known um, slogan and and it really that happened to us so many times there were two other PCT hikers that happened to be sitting there waiting for their parents to pick them up they had been waiting there for hours I mean they could have gotten picked up earlier but instead they had already filtered water that they were just going to dump and they hadn't dumped it yet so we happened to have this water and thank goodness now we can make dinner so we get to our tent spot we open up the resupply box and it's a dinner short. <laughs> We're like, what do you mean it's a dinner? Why? How does this happen? Like we planned all of this ahead of time, but as you know, with any you know big adventure, you can plan all you want, but things will not always work out the way you plan. So we ended up having to split a dinner when we're already so hungry. Oh my gosh! Oh, so it was th things like that yeah. that are always yeah. So Big Bear was probably the biggest hurdle that we <laughs> that had. The first and biggest hurdle, yeah. And that For you know sure. was pretty pretty close to the beginning. I mean, what what day was that? You think? Yeah. Um, we were maybe like two and a half weeks in to the hike at that point. Three, yeah, three weeks maybe. So. So not not only were you dealing with just the normal through hiking challenges, which are which are huge, which are big challenges. I mean, a vast majority of folks, or or, or a large percentage of folks don't don't finish a through hike when they start not only that but you're dealing with all these other things that folks typically rely on which is hitchhiking and in these towns and you, you know you can't rely on any of that did, did it ever get to the point where you thought what are we doing out here this is just too too much to deal with this year um or or are you both just not not typically in that mindset not typically. I mean, we were actually probably the most comfortable once we were on the trail. So, it, you know, we were always a little, it was always a little nervous about going into town um, because one is we wanted to make sure that they didn't lose our resupply boxes. Um, they did, we, we didn't run into that. A lot of, we had a couple of places that misplaced it. So when we got there, they're like, no, you never got your resupply box. It's not here. And it kind of causes a little bit of stress because you just never know what you're getting going into a town and whether things are going to be there, even though we had, you know, tracking numbers and all this, you're still kind of at the mercy of the postal service or even at other locations where we had boxes shipped to. Um, and thankfully we were able to get those boxes because some of those towns, like Amy was saying, had absolutely no resupply options on their own. Um, you know, the, the stores have been kind of picked over because of the the pandemic. And so there really wasn't any very many options as far as uh, hiker hiker meals or things like that, unless you were just going to live on uh, nuts and some bars. That was about it. 
you both have experience backpacking and I, and I've heard that, you know, through hiking, uh, you know, for months and months is really just piecing together a string of weekends. You know, you resupply every once in a while, you carry all the same amount of gear. It's just stringing together these much shorter experiences and putting it together. So if you can do a week out there, you can, you can typically do a through hike. Um, did, did that feel true to you or, or was it surprising kind of grinding through month after month after month and, and, and how do you feel that you changed as, as the trip went on? Um, it was definitely more of a grind toward the end, I think. Um, and I wouldn't, I don't want to say a grind cause we enjoyed, there was every day that we enjoyed something out of it. Um, but we also had more moments where things were a lot more difficult. Um, when you go out for a week, you know, you know, you're only going in for a week. And so it's a lot easier to kind of put up with things. Um, when we started this trip, we didn't have like, there's, there's a lot of people that will start a through hike and they have a real big reason why that they're doing it. Um, whether it's like a career change or something really bad happened in their lives that they kind of just kind of want to escape and kind of find themselves a little bit where Amy and I were just kind of going out there because we really love backpacking and just love being in the wilderness. Um, the, where we ran into some difficulty was in Northern California where becomes kind of more of like a green tunnel for people. It's just hot and not a whole lot of views and things to see. So, uh, when we're going through that and you're sitting there going, well, wh- I'm not really enjoying this. So why are we out here? You know? And it's like, so we kind of had to remind each other as far as like, you know, what was, what was the reason why we came out, you know, and th- there wasn't a, a good enough reason to get off of the trail. So from the mental side of it, that's where it was the toughest. Um, at least for me, I think Amy would probably say the same, but it was just kind of one of those things where, those week-long trips, it's kind of easy to put up with a lot of stuff versus when you're out there for six months at a time. So toward the end, it starts to go. You're starting to go, on, well, okay, a, a shower and a chair with a back sounds really good right now. <laughs> yeah, and clothes that don't stink and yeah. <laughs> it aren't stained. And yeah, so I know we've talked about you know a lot of the challenges and and the pandemic and whatnot, but. But maybe what was something early on that just really blew your mind in a, in a great way was just really enjoyable, maybe a part you didn't expect or just an experience you had that could really illustrate just how just how great it was out there. Yeah, well, uh, the the desert was surprising to me in general. I mean, that's 700 miles, right? So it's wow. very daunting. Am I going to handle 700 miles of desert? That's the big question. That's what I didn't know. And I was surprisingly shocked at how beautiful it was. The wildflowers, the cacti, the cacti that were all flowering then, there was, I mean, the beautiful moments were unbelievable. I was shocked. And because we were, you know, in and out of the snow so much too, it just made for this gorgeous backdrop. And I was definitely surprised at how lovely the desert was. I mean, even though we had to spend four nights sleeping on the snow, like there was just so much snow, uh, that was a challenge in itself, but, um, it definitely made it beautiful. And then the challenge also, I think kind of set the tone for the rest of the trip. We were like, if we can do this, then bring on the Sierra. That's like no biggie compared to this. And it actually turned out that way. There was less snow in the Sierra and it was gorgeous and 
So looking back through all the pictures now, because we can finally, is really when you start to appreciate it even that much more, I think. That's what we've come to realize for sure. Yeah, I think the the, the desert definitely was the with the snow and you know, the challenges that came up, but it just, it gave us, I mean, I've gone back through some of the pictures and there's still some of my favorite ones um, is, you know, with some of the, a lot of the wildflowers and these snow capped peaks in the background. And that's, the, that's when you're sitting there going, this is the reason why we came out here. Yeah. yeah. And then we started seeing a lot of wildlife too. I mean, of course you always see wildlife, but um, I don't know if it was because the fewer numbers of people on the trail but we were, we ended up seeing nine bears. We saw way more than we ever thought we would. Tons of deer, and it was just so that part was really neat too. And we got to see the wildlife sometimes when we they didn't see us, you know. And I think they've just got they were starting to get used to not having as many people around, and so we had some encounters that were pretty cool, you know, with the. Um, animals not knowing we were there and just being able to watch them and see what they do. And so all of that is just fascinating. You know, we were experiencing that in, in the cities and in, uh, the suburbs even, uh, just, just the kind of, you know, that was in the news, just the re-naturalization of areas. So I'm sure on trails where, you know, it's so much more present, so much closer, you saw that even even greater, just almost this disregard that there's this path going through the woods because so few people are actually taking it. And so I'm sure that was incredible to see. I, I You guys are maybe didn't realize it when you were starting out, but you probably hit one of the best years ever to, to hike oh, yeah. the PCT. And I, I'm yeah. sure that yeah. became pretty clear pretty quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, for sure. I mean, there were definitely, you know, there was there has been no trail maintenance so there's that, <laughs> yeah. that there's that part that's a little tricky there's a lot of bushwhacking in some parts uh just because yeah. you know the pcta wasn't having anyone out there so that um was tricky so there's you know the challenges but i think i mean the the pros outweighed any possible con there could have been for sure that's so was there any thought about um search and rescue or not having access to help if you needed it, because that was one thing in Colorado that they were really pushing this summer was, uh, you know, be very, very, very careful going out there. Even a rolled ankle, we, we can't send anybody for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know if we necessarily really kind of put a whole lot of thought into that necessarily. Um, but we, you know, through all the years of doing stuff, we always made sure that whatever, encounter was whether it was snow crossings or um you know river crossings things like that that we made sure to really take our time and kind of evaluate it so we weren't kind of rushing because like i said what we talked about earlier in the podcast is that we planned this for eight years i didn't want it to end because of some silly decision that we made or pushing something outside of our <laughs> comfort zone um where if we just kind of did something a little bit slower, a little bit smarter, that would ensure a little bit more safety. So we made sure to really try to keep kind of the risk level, at least for um, for the two of us, down to a minimum as we could. And we had heard that the emergency personnel, you know, might not be able to get to you. And I would hate to use them when they are needed so many other places. But you never know. I mean, if you 
we just hiked as safely as we could and hoped for the best and hoped that we wouldn't need to use them. And thank goodness we did not. Mm -hmm. You know, for the prepared, it could almost add to the experience saying, hey, we're out here. We really are out here. And if something happens, it is on us. And Mm -hmm. almost in a primal instinctive way that that can add to the experience. I know personally that that those kind of elements can can make an experience more impactful. Um, right. That, that is absolutely incredible. You know, what w- was there a night or a day that you can kind of tell us about that that just really captured the beauty of everything? Was there a, a certain place that maybe you didn't know? You know, you, you talked about the desert, but maybe at, towards the end when it was becoming a grind that really felt special. Um, for me, it was Crater Lake. Although, you know, that's that's kind of a popular destination. I mean, one you can actually even drive to and stuff. But it it came for me at the right moment because there's those those moments on the trail where you, you may feel really low. Like you're just like, why? Why? Why are we doing this? Why am I grinding through some of this where I'm not necessarily having the most fun? And then all of a sudden you know, that's kind of where I was, at least at a mental state a little bit, you know, I still enjoyed the days, but, you know, enjoying a day when you're only seeing stuff that really entertains you for maybe like 20% of the day still makes it for a long day when you're getting through the rest of it. Um, and then we came upon Crater Lake and that was, it, it was just like this shot of energy and just love of nature that I needed, um, that just kept with me for the rest of the way, all the way up to the Canadian border. Um, yeah, just walking up on it. Cause I had never been up there and walking up to that rim. We got there right at, uh, we, we made sure we got up early that morning. So we got up at about three o'clock to get up. The, our goal was to try to get up there for sunrise. Um, and then we had a long, about a six mile walk up there, got there right as the sun was coming up and just the spectacular colors with these, you know, just clouds that were just kind of, it was almost like picturesque from a, it's like a movie set because it was like these clouds that were pouring over the top of the rim of Crater Lake down into the, into the lake itself. Um, and you had these colors and, you know, the bright, bright oranges and the blues as it came out. And then as the sun came up, you know, the deep blues of that lake, it was just, you know, and then being able to spend most of the day hiking around, it was, was, you know, just the thing that I was just like that, that was the reason why I was out there. You know, and that was the thing that I was like, you know what, doesn't matter how bad things can get. I'm going to find my, you know, the next crater lake and, you know, and that's going to keep me going and stuff like that. So. Yeah, for me, um, it was actually this one certain wildflower. It's called the Pasque flower. P-A-S-Q-U-E, past flower that I found in Northern California. And for the first time ever, we hadn't seen it the whole time. And we really took advantage of all of the different, you know, wildlife and wildflowers and all of that. We took pictures of all of that to add on to our blog. And we also got this app that you don't need cell service for. So you could find out the names of everything. And then we could, you know, put that in there too. And so we found out, I saw this past flower that is absolutely just the most, I don't know, fun, enjoyable, just like put such a smile on my face. It's like this big puff ball. It almost looks like something out of Dr. Seuss. It doesn't look real. Like I didn't understand why this was here all of a sudden in Northern California when we were really struggling to get through that portion. 
and so anxious to get out of California and just finally get to Oregon. And then I saw this flower and it just really uplifted my spirits. It made everything just, I don't know, it was just so much better. It seems so ridiculous that it just this flower could do this, but for some reason it was right at the perfect time. And then the funny thing about it is we only saw them probably five or six more times throughout the entire rest of the trail. And it was always at like the most perfect time. It was just so strange that this past flower came out of nowhere. I didn't even know it existed. And here it is like cheering me on as I'm walking down the trail. It was pretty neat. I, I don't think that's strange at all. I think that's incredible. It, it, it becomes with a long journey like that, the little things, uh, you know, the little, not, not that Crater Lake's small, but it's a, it's a big, yeah, thing, but it's, right. a, it's a combination. It's a combination of the massive and, and the small. It's a combination of, uh, you know, on this show, we talk about it a lot. It's a combination of the inspiring, the things you can never attain uh, from an adventure perspective, but also the very relatable. So the, the balance between the two can really be what pushes you on. So that that's incredible to hear. You both kind of illustrated that extremely well. You, you hear you might hear my little one in the background. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, sorry about that. No, please, <laughs> no problem. He's a year, so we've got you know. Oh. If we're trying to time it, what y'all are doing, we've got about seventeen years before. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, that's it. You'll you have lots of time to start dehydrating that food. That's a, yeah. So so you know what? That's funny you bring that up because I've been told a lot that I I don't ask enough about like the preparation and like meals and stuff. Because apparently I just eat, you know, out of a jar of peanut butter while I'm out there on my trips. I, I People are interested in that stuff. So could you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? What, what did the dehydration process look like? And, and what were you doing? Like what kind of meals? What are some things people can kind of some tricks you can share with folks? Um, this actually started a really long time ago when we first started kind of backpacking. I actually went to a class from REI on backpacking back backcountry meals and it was a great little class because it talked talked about all these different types of meals that you could make that weren't necessarily mountain house or backpackers pantry um you know and there, those a lot of those meals are actually really good and i think they've improved a lot over time yes there's some good ones um, out there for sure yeah you know and but when we were doing it early on it was like it was just that we didn't like how much sodium was in it and you know, a lot of the wasteful product, you know, the packaging that came with it and things like that. So we started to kind of get really interested in coming up with our own meals. Um, so once we went to this class, all of a sudden I started to realize that we can almost take anything that we really like at home and turn it into a backcountry meal. Because all we were going to basically do is just kind of rehydrate it basically the way we were doing with our backpack, or, you know, backcountry pantries and stuff like that. Um so we started making like uh, we have like a chicken white bean chili. So we would make make those at home, and then we we went out and actually bought a dehydrator. So we would spend time then putting that on the trays and dehydrating that down. Um, so basically, it was just you know dehydrated beans, chicken, all the ingredient, you know the the seasonings and things like that, and then we would just boil some water and camp and then, you know, take 10 minutes to kind of reconstitute it that way. Um, so we'd have things like that. We, this trip, we used a lot more of the nor sides. Um, I don't know if you've had those, there's a lot of those like raw rice and pasta sides that they have. 
they were actually really good and they gave us a big variety but we would always throw protein in it so we we ended up dehydrating god i don't know how many breasts of chicken over like six months oh, period of time because oh that was how like do you store that stuff while you're waiting does it does it last pretty long dehydrated because you're, you're not talking about freeze drying you're talking about just dehydrating right. yeah and we had no problems with it you know we we kept it in a cool dark place um after we dehydrated it made sure it stayed you know made sure one uh, it was fully dehydrated so there was no moisture in there and really try mm -hmm. to take all the air out of it that could potentially cause any issues with it um and we had no issues as far as it holding up you know from that standpoint so we also had a, a salmon pasta with lemon dill sauce, and we had a sweet potato lentil, and we had so these are um, meals that we just really enjoy at home, and you can absolutely just rehydrate anything. The one thing we did learn um, is early on is we would always take the protein out, so the chicken, the salmon, the steak, whatever the protein was. We keep that in its own bag, and we start reconstituting that at yeah. lunch. Yeah, so we we'll, put yeah, we'll start cold soaking that yeah. like about two hours or two or three hours ahead of time. So as long as we do that, and then we can just add that to the dinner that night, then it's fine. Yeah. When we tried to do all of it together years ago, then you know that's when the protein would still be a little crunchy. With <laughs> ten minutes, wasn't really enough time to make that a lot easier to eat so wow y'all y'all ate good out there wow so, yeah it sounds, felt like sounds it. great i'm sure it tasted yeah. even i mean a million times better out there after a long day maybe in the rain or in the cold and just eating one of those meals was I, i'm sure amazing oh yeah. for sure and we talked about you know it was worth it for us personally to have the stove because, you know, of course, so many of, of through hikers just cold soak and it was really nice. And we were jealous when they were going to sleep and they didn't have to clean up their pot. So that part I totally mm. get. And we were jealous of that. But when it was cold and we um, really wanted a hot meal, I have to say it was just worth it for us to carry that stove. Yeah, I'm definitely a carry carry the stove kind of person. I like my coffee. I like my hot meals uh, yes. on a cold day. And, um, you know, I'm sure also it was cool, you know, bagging that food up or you know, dehydrating, knowing you're going to enjoy it out in the wilderness. And then, you know, however many months later, opening back up and thinking back to that preparation and um, just everything you put into this, all the planning, all the time in preparation, I'm sure was was kind of interesting to think about. Yeah, no, it was great. It really was. And that was the other reason why we kind of wanted to do the meals, too, was because we knew what was going into it. Um, and so we kind of felt good about having the, the right amount of ingredients as far as, you know, you know, proteins, carbs, fats, things like that to kind of keep us going on the hike. So, you know, that that, that was one thing you did, the prepared, and you, you guys are experienced, um, but you learned a lot, obviously, doing it for so long. Is there any you know, maybe big misconceptions that, that folks typically have, or maybe that you had about, about through hiking or about just being out there so long, anything that kind of hits you where maybe something folks often mentioned and you were like, wow, it's actually not like that. Or were anything you had in your yeah. own mind that was like, you know, it's going to be this way, or we're going to do it this way. And you get out there and it's like, well, that ain't happening. Yeah. The, the one thing that I had always heard, right. So I'm very type A. So I like to plan out a lot of things. 
So um, we kind of had planned out where we we're going to go, you know, each day and, you know, even prior to the trip. And we had always heard that, you know, like, don't make a plan because it goes out the window <laughs> within the first week. And I was like, well, you know, and so to me, it was always like, well, they must have not just planned it right or things like that. But once I got out on the trail, I became very aware of those plans going out the window right away because <laughs> so, so many things became much more dependent on, especially for us, like water sources. And then, you know, for me, what I had to learn and where I kind of really kind of hopefully evolved a little bit through this through hike is learning not to stress about the the small stuff, the things that I can't control. It's just like you just get up in the day and you're like, okay, well, we have 15 miles before our first water, and that's just what it is, and we're just going to have to deal with it and just go. And there's no no amount of planning or no amount of prep that you can do that gets you ready to just kind of kind of fly by the seat of your pants at times. No, that's a skill in itself for sure. A Amy, would you yeah. say you're more type A or, or type B? Well, I also like to plan, but I'm very, very much fine with just kind of seeing how everything's going to fall into place. And, you know, as long as we have a solid basic plan, I'm fine. If we're a little off here or there, I can kind of let things go like that. I think a lot easier than Brian can. So it was a good combination because he would really get worried about the water sources and how long we'd have to carry water. And that's like one thing we really don't like to do is carry too much water just because it's so heavy and just such a bummer. And Can't dehydrate so, that. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And so we, uh, I just was kind of like, you know, we're going to have to carry it. That's just going to be it. And he would really worry about it and wake up early thinking about it. And I'm like, Hey, we'll just do it. We'll just carry it. It's not like it's, you know, we were so after the Sierra and having to carry the bear can and everything, everything was lighter after that. So it's like, it'll just be like having the bear can back. It's, it's all right. It's no biggie. <laughs> so, how, how wild was it to have to worry so much about something so basic? Oh, it was yeah. absolutely crazy. I mean, honestly, like we started to get a little obsessive, like even when we were brushing our teeth in the desert, especially um, brushing our teeth. I remember literally only letting two drops of water land on the toothpaste. I'm like, that's it. I can't spare more than two drops to wet the toothbrush <laughs> yeah. and you're just going to have to deal with it. Brush, brush, brush. Okay, now you're just going to rinse with the smallest amount. How much do you need to rinse with? How much? Like yeah. a teaspoon is probably about yeah. it. <laughs> so um, that part, it definitely. So then when you switch to the Sierra and it's just like bountiful water everywhere you turn, it really, it's hard to switch that switch. It is kind of funny how you get a little crazy about it. A little yeah. crazy. Yeah, I think you definitely take for advantage or take it for uh, granted. Um, the lack of water, the lack of water out there, and the ability just to walk up to a faucet and just kind of open it up and fill up a glass and start drinking. Yeah. So. So sure. so how how strange is it going from worrying about you know shelter, food, water, to now being back home for two weeks? Yeah. Um, it's been strange because there's a lot of those things like even with the like the water, I find myself still kind of. Which I guess is a good thing, right? Conservation. Oh, absolutely. Especially but, in Southern California. But yeah, but um, I find myself I'm way more 
stringent as far as like letting the water run like okay fill this up i'll wash and then i'll rinse you know so um much more cons on a conservation level now being back um, where i brought that back from me with the trip to the trip from the trail to home but trying to adjust to just kind of normal life because we always joked around is like that our three stresses for the day was okay do we have a flat spot to set up our tent do we have food and do we have water? And as long as we had those three things or could figure something out that was close, we were good. And now you get home and all of a sudden you get home and all of a sudden, you know, each, each day or the night before I'm writing down a list that has like 10 to 15 different things that I need to try to do the next day. And that's just kind of odd. I'm trying to get used to having that back in my life has uh, been a little bit of a struggle. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, you know, it, it, adventure, the reason we do it, it's, it's to experience that and to learn from it. You know, what, what kind of principles do you want to take from the PCT back to normal life? Because, uh, um, th th there's a lot we learn out there. Like you said, that the, the three, the three, the big three, you know, a lot of mm -hmm. adventures talk about that. Adventurers talk about that and trying to incorporate that into back to quote normal life. Um, and even normal life right now for everyone is not going to be normal for a while, whatever that right. is. So, so, so what, what do you think the lasting impact is on the both of you, um, with lifestyle and with mindset? I mean, I would love to think that I could not sweat the little things, you know, like out there it's, you just can't worry that there's dirt under your fingernails and you have to put your contacts in anyway. And you don't, you know, you just things like that. You're, you can't worry about that. That's just the way it is and deal with it. And here I would love to say that I want to not sweat the little things, but I don't know if that's realistic. I mean, how long can that last before we're just like sucked right back into you know, because we are both in healthcare, we do have like other people's lives in our hands kind of. And I just, so I don't know if it's even realistic that we, you know, can't get sucked back in, but I'm going to try and take that with me as long as I can. Yeah. And for me, um, it's the things I really came to appreciate out on the trail was just family and friends. Um, and how good of a bond you can have with people, especially with people with, the very similar uh, mindsets. So that was the the neat thing I think I found on the trail was the other through hikers that we met along the way, you could just hike with them for a day and it felt like you knew them like for years. And you would have reunions when you saw them back on the trail, maybe you know even a month or two down the road and you hadn't seen them. Um, so to me, it was like having family and, and that support system and being there for each other is something I definitely wanted to bring back. Um, and then also just knowing that, you know, it doesn't matter what materialistic stuff I have because that doesn't impact my life as much as like family and friends. So when we, when we can see the family. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right now. That's, <laughs> that, and that's, that's where too, we're back. We want to see everybody and you can't. Yeah. Mm. Hard. Mm, no, totally. That's, that is absolutely difficult. Gosh, I, I mean, is there anything else you'd like to cover? I, I feel like we kind of brought it all the way back. And, um, you know, I want to say congratulations. Oh, I do want to ask this. Is there anything, yeah. you know, wh what's next for y'all? You know, you, you completed this eight, eight year, you know, plan, yeah. essentially. Are you going to spend another eight years planning another one? Or are you, are you kind of yeah. like ready to do something else? 
it, it might be too early. You've only been home two weeks, but it, you yeah. know, I'll, I hear for a lot of through hikers about halfway through, they start thinking about what's next. Uh, what is it for y'all? Um, right now I think I'm still trying to get adjusted to back to, to normal life. Uh, for me, I'm actually looking to open up my own private business. So that's going to be kind of my next adventure. That's going to take up some time from the next couple of years. Um, but hopefully it'll still allow me time to get out into the woods and wilderness and enjoy that. Um, but who knows? I think, um, keeping my options open is it's, it's weird because, you know, toward the end of the trip, you know, logging all those miles, we were like, okay, we're done. I'm done. But then like, you know, sitting around and, you know, you start daydreaming about being back on the trail and, you know, have these weird dreams, you know, that I'm back out on the trail hiking again. So, you know, and there are two more long trails. Yeah. Right. There are two more. So we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Plus a million others. But, um, yeah, as far as another through hike, I, I, I think we, maybe the shorter distances, I mean, the CDT obviously is very compelling and sounds so interesting. Um, especially from a navigational standpoint, so, you know, a little added challenge. Um, but also we're not, you know, young, <laughs> as young as some. So, you know, can and another eight years? Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I don't well, know. But we'll see. <laughs> it's tricky. Wow. Well, y'all congratulations. You know, you mentioned a blog a number of times. Is there somewhere people yeah. can go and read about your experience? Yeah. If they wanted to look up the blog, it's, um, the address is Amy, so A M Y, and then N, as in Nancy Bry, hike. dot wordpress. dot com. Thank you, Amy and Brian, for joining the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thank you. This was great. Thanks so much. Yeah, appreciate Thanks, it. Mason. Yeah. All right, y'all. We'll have a great night, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Bye. First of all. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>